All right, welcome to the Dog Zone. You're looking to Husky football in 2018. I'm your host, Alec Dietz, and it's time to talk Husky ball. But first, I'd like to introduce my companion, my fellow football beat reporter, Josh Kershamam. He's fresh uh, from the Rose Bowl and the game yesterday. Uh, I think you arrived about an hour ago. Yep. Uh, how was the flight? It's over. That's all you can say. I'm here. I'm tired, but I'm here. Awesome. Well, uh, we're excited to have you on again. Uh, you were with Andy last week, and I appreciate Andy stepping in. But this week, uh, I'm back to take over uh, it's the, the show. Football crew. Yeah, it's the football beat recorder crew. We finally got a podcast together. Look Yay. at that. Uh, last week, dominating victory over BYU. This week, looked like it was going to be a dominating victory over UCLA. Didn't really turn out that way to be in the third quarter. The Huskies got out to a big 24-7 lead at halftime. It looked like offense was clicking all cylinders. Defense, you know, was kind of that bend but don't break. They drove a little bit, but they got the stop, interceptions. Um, but the game ended 31-24. to Really was in doubt. Uh, with about two minutes to go in the game, UCLA kind of drove down the field at will in that third and fourth quarter. Uh, from the players' perspective, and your perspective at the game, what what did you see? It was a weird game. It was a weird day. Weird things happen when Washington goes to the Pac-12 South pretty much anytime and anywhere, and this was no different. And I think everybody on the UW sideline side recognized that after the game. They There's no problem about it. They did not play their best game of the season, but there really wasn't any frustration, at least not that any of the players showed after the game uh, or Coach Peterson. They really just recognized that a win is a win in the Pac-12, and it's hard to go on the road in the Pac-12. Yeah, well, and I mean, it kind of felt like this team, you know, against Arizona State, on offense especially, they played a really solid football game. On defense, they played a good football game against an Arizona State team they always have trouble with. And then last week against BYU, who was ranked at the time, looked pretty good, don't really look good now. But you still put together a dominating performance if it should have been a 35 to nothing shutout. You take two steps forward, and this game kind of feels like a step back for this program and I know it, you know they haven't won in the Rose Bowl in over 20 years and they finally got that monkey off their back and the players didn't seem too concerned but is there any concern about this team after this kind of a game? I mean I don't know it's going to be really interesting like the first thing is that the one other motif in the post-game press conference is really this whole week leading up to the game is that that UCLA team shouldn't be uh, 0-5. Yeah. If you look at the teams they play, I mean, so the UCLA's opponents going into Saturday were a combined seventeen and one, so that makes them a combined UCLA's opponents a combined twenty two and two. My math is probably wrong, but again, I've been on a plane most of today. Well, and Oklahoma lost as well. Uh, so I think okay. their teams they have three losses. They have yeah. So <laughs> they are playing uh, three of the teams that they played are are ranked right now. They're a young team. Earlier in the week, Jay Browning actually had some comparisons between UCLA now and. Uh, Washington four years ago when all of Washington's skilled players were in their first or second years here. This team is going to get there, and they definitely took a step forward against the Huskies, but yeah, like that, it's going to look bad with a seven-point win over a winless team, but this team really probably shouldn't be winless and is better than most teams that have one or two wins in the country. Uh, That being said, there were things, some things that didn't look great as it wore on. Details started to fall apart there in the third quarter. Way more busted coverages in the secondary than we usually see from Washington. Yeah, uh, DTR, as the commentators kept calling the quarterback, uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson passed for uh, 272 yards and two touchdowns. Pretty good at completions percentage, too. 143.3 quarterback rating. So, I mean, you're talking about a, a true freshman quarterback guy who's 18, 19 years old, probably had 
best performance against UW, maybe other than Jared Stidham. Yeah, and a lot of that, I think, was on the play call. A lot of that was on just a few miscommunications in the back end. Like, uh, Thompson Robinson, he threw for a lot of yards. He had a good completion set percentage, but a lot of that, his guys were wide open. They were just finding the, the soft spot in the UW zones. That was most of his success. And, I mean, that's what you expect from a freshman quarterback. When you have young quarterbacks like that, they're not always the best at making progressions, making reads. But if you tell them that they're this one receiver is going to run this route and he's going to be open at this part of the field and then that happens, anybody in a football uniform can find him. And I think that's what happened to a certain extent, especially as the game wore on. Well, and the tackling seemed to be a problem, especially on that. Was it the last drive where he threw it in the flat to Caleb Wilson? That was the t- uh, touchdown drive that made it seven points. Uh, it was that was the first the play first the, one the first play of the third uh, the fourth quarter. And Wilson caught it. It was a, it was on a flat route to the left side of the field. He caught it on about the two yard line. I don't remember who he hit, but he just rolled off of him into the end. Well, zone. it felt like he broke three. Like I think Jordan Miller was there, missed the tackle. Miles Bryant might have been there. Just a couple secondary guys that. You mean you kind of expect to make those tackles, especially at this point in the season. Yeah, and I mean, the interesting thing will be how do they bounce back from it? Because, I mean, you look back two weeks ago and Arizona State ran all over the Washington defense that came in, one of the best run defenses in the country. Then BYU comes in, a team that is run first, and UW holds them to under 50 yards rushing, I think. 34 yards. 34 yards rushing on the game. This time, UCLA threw the ball over the field against what was heralded as, what is being heralded as one of the best secondaries uh, UW has ever seen. Now you play a game next week against a very good quarterback in Justin Herbert and a very good offense in Oregon. See if they have a bounce back, bounce back week like they did last time. Well, and before we get on to Oregon, I did want to also talk about the UW offense who actually had a, a pretty solid game other than a few stalled uh, red zone drives early in the game. Or not necessarily in the red zone, but in opponent territory. Um, Jake Browning passed for 265 yards and a touchdown, did throw that one pick where he overthrew, I believe it was Aaron Fuller. I think it was. Miles Gaskin, another really strong game. He was kind of the bell cow in this game, 27 carries, 116 yards, two touchdowns. Forgot to mention about Browning, he picked up a lot of big-time yards and first downs on the ground. Read my article about that if you haven't done so. Yeah, it's a great article. Um, he, and he And that's a totally underrated aspect of his game that a lot of people don't like. Um, a lot of people don't like when he scrambles, but clearly showed that he is a capable scrambler in certain conditions. In certain conditions. I mean, the thing they always say is as soon as you start going backwards, you're in trouble. And when Browning goes backwards, he's in trouble. But what he did, he did a great job of moving up in the pocket. He did a great job of moving, moving laterally and finding, especially against UCLA's man coverage, which they were running a lot, uh, finding where his receivers were going and then basically running opposite that. Like they, He had that one on the last touchdown drive after the big completion of Ty Jones where it was like third and six and he lined up they had one receiver to the left and three to the right and Gaskin next to him and he motions Gaskin out to the sideline to the right so he had four receivers to the right and the defense completely shifted over and I don't remember who the receiver on the left side of the field was but he basically ran his man out of the play and apparently it was not a design it looked like a design run play apparently it wasn't uh, Browning said after the game that it was purely a read but he took the snap maybe waited a second and then saw that there was nobody on the left side of the field found the sideline got 14 yards and I think two two plays later was that big touchdown so it's really that awareness that he has that um it's his legs as well as his mind that are really going off but also I think it was a great day for the UW offensive line yeah, well, I mean, you could really see that on, was it the wedge play? On the wedge play. They call it wedge because they make a wedge. Straight up quarterback sneak, and usually you run that on third and one or fourth and one and try to get one yard and one inch, and you give it to your quarterback, you let him go over the top through people and fall right over the first down line. And Browning was trying to do that, and instead he was 
taken five steps and fallen seven, fallen for seven yard gains, and that's just not something you usually see, and that's how you know that your offensive line is really getting to the push it wants. Yeah, exactly. Well, and also wanted to point out, Aaron Fuller had five catches, another 100-yard performance. He's yeah. um, well on his way to a 1,000-yard receiving season, which is really impressive considering his production in the past few years. But I think his game was really emblematic of how it went as a whole for Washington because he had, I think, three catches for 90 yards in the first half mm-hmm. and then didn't break the 100-yard mark until there were like six minutes left in the fourth quarter, and you could really see where that, see how that third quarter just stalled out. And I think a lot of it, Washington has always this season it's been running those stretch plays and then they've been running play action off of the stretch plays they went to play action on first down way more than I've seen really at all this season they were almost I think I don't know the exact number but it had to be at least more than half of the time half of their first downs were play action passes in the second half at least and that's been the problem for the the Utah offense is great when it stays ahead of its progression when it gets into second and medium and third and short and really I think the problem in the uh, third quarter was that UCLA started to pick up on it and the play-action passes weren't getting completed over the middle, and suddenly you're looking at second and ten. And nothing on first down leads to second and ten. A little bit on second and ten leads to third and six, and those are a lot harder to pick up than uh, the situations that Washington wants to be in. Yep. Well, and now looking forward, they got a big date against the Ducks, who uh, when you look at it from the Ducks' perspective, they're coming off the bye week. They blow the game against Stanford, who figures to be a Pac-12 North contender still, even after a loss to Utah. Bryce Love is back then, maybe. If not, probably not. Even then, though, we'll see. After that win against Oregon, they sure looked like they would be. If the Ducks want to compete for a Pac-12 championship, you kind of have to take this game. It's kind of a must-win for them. If they lose this, two conference losses, that that might rule them out of a potential tiebreaker situation even. Yeah, and I'm usually someone that's high on Stanford, but if Stanford plays the way it's looked the past two weeks, it's it's done, which really may may well mean that the Pac-12 North is going to run through Eugene this Saturday. And Washington obviously has the last two in this series, and they haven't been close, but this is really going to be the first real game between these two teams where both... So you would think. Where both sides are coming in. Like I mean, last year Oregon was a mess, and the year before that, Oregon was slightly less of a mess, but still kind of a mess, and UW was the hottest team it's been in decades. Mm-hmm. And now you really have two teams that are run, running head-on at each other, and it's going to be interesting. Yep, well, and you got a uh, presumed number one overall draft pick, or at least first-round draft pick, Justin Herbert, running the helm. Um, he actually made his first career start against UW two years ago. And now he's was, returning. And, and then he was injured for last year's matchup. And he was injured for last year's matchup, so he's returned. Um, this game probably means a lot to him. He's a local. I think he's from Eugene, Oregon. Um, so he understands the rivalry. you got a lot of playmakers around him, a lot of speed, as always. It's Oregon. A lot of different backs to go to. Uh, they got some power back options back there, a pretty good line. they got um, C.J. Verdell sort of leading it. Tony yeah. Bush James came in, I think, as the main guy. Uh, from or at least on the outlook side of when the season started, but Verdell is averaging six over six yards of carry, and he's leading them in carries, which is kind of what you want your leading back to do. He's sort of emerged right there. Exactly, and a very, very, very improved defense. Yes, that defense is no slouch. Um, you saw it, you know, against the Stanford team. I mean, Stanford kind of beat you in unfair ways, so it's sort of hard to judge that game just because they got that dumb box out play and you know that's just that's just a one-on-one play for a guy that's taller or another guy that's not as tall but anyway uh it should make for an interesting game this saturday it's in Autzen, and you know if i had to make a prediction i it's tough it's really tough i mean it depends on what u-dub's team we see because i think if we saw the u-dub against byu that u-dub team beats auburn week one 
Oh, yeah. And if you saw the Auburn team last week, that Auburn team loses to UW week one. True. You but I mean, play that game all day. Yeah. But, and if we see that UW team against BYU, I mean, there's not many teams in the country that UW can't beat. Maybe Alabama, because Alabama's got a quarterback now, so they're pretty frightening. But I don't know. It just depends on which team. Is it the, the UW team from the first half? That yep. maybe messes up a drive or two, but looks dominant on both sides of the ball. Or is it UW in the second half where the details start to fall apart? They don't really look like a, a Chris Peterson coach team. Um, and and Oregon's kind of the same way because they rock were rocking Stanford in the first half. They they looked by like the better team. Oh, they were the better team that entire game. And then things started to fall off the rails. They get a touchdown that's called back. Snap goes over Justin Herbert's head. Three and out, Stanford runs, you know, breaks a big play, and next thing you know, it's a game, and they don't have any of the momentum, and they ended up losing the game. And then that's not even mentioning at the end of the game, they mess up that time time management situation. Yep. Um, so Oregon's a really similar program. I mean, it just it just kind of depends for me which team on both sides shows up. Yeah, and I think it's going to be really interesting. We talked about UW and its defense, where it had the bad game against the rush defense, and then just had the bad game against the pass defense, bouncing back. I'm looking at Oregon's numbers now. Oregon's non-conference schedule makes Washington's last year look yes. like the SEC. Yes. Historically, I think someone wrote an article that it's the worst non-conference slate of like all time. It may be. It may well be. <laughs> and that's no disrespect to Bowling Green, Portland State, and San Jose State. But, okay, maybe a little disrespect <laughs> to those three teams. But We're not going to say the C word here. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> but if you look at their past two games, their Pac-12 games, that loss to Stanford where they do a pretty decent job against the run uh, but give up. 327 yards and three touchdowns to the air. So you can, I mean, if you have J.J. Arcega, Whiteside, and Perkins, and Caden Smith, then you can beat them through the air. That's definitely doable. And then their last matchup, uh, they had the bye before the bye, they faced Cal, and they gave up 241 yards on the ground to a Cal offense that is definitely better than it has been. But It's pretty much just Patrick Laird. It's pretty much Patrick Laird, and I'd put... Miles Gaskin, Savon Ahmed, and Trauma Gru and Kamari Pleasant, for that matter. Like th- those four, if Cal can do that to you, then Washington can do that to you. So there's definitely a blueprint to beat this team. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Chris Pearson always goes for the most balanced offense he can. It'll be interesting to see what that attack looks like. And it'll be interesting to see if the execution comes. Because, as you said, Washington showed an offense that could ex- execute absolutely everything at every time, and an offense that just got behind progression and couldn't do much of anything. Mm-hmm. Whole lot of unknowns going into rivalry week. Welcome to Oregon Hate Week, people. Yep, should be interesting. Uh, game is on Saturday in Eugene. I believe it's is it ABC actually. Is it? I, I think, think it's it's ABC or ESPN at twelve uh, thirty p.m. Pacific time. Uh, Josh and I will both be there. We're also sending three photographers, two videographers. It's pretty exciting. Sending a full home crew. Expect all that coverage. Yep. Follow us on uh, Twitter. Or- yeah, follow us on Twitter at Alec Dietz and at J underscore Kirschenbaum. A-I-R-S-H-E-N-D-A-U-M for those of you who aren't German. <laughs> um, and yeah, that'll do it for the show this week. Thanks for listening to The Dog Zone. This has been Alec Dietz and Josh Kirschenbach.